This morning we're starting a new series that will run through the summer. As people tend to be in and out during the summer, uh, there will be a variety of different speakers. Uh, But the series is called Founders. And uh, essentially what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at uh, some of the leaders and influencers from the New Testament specifically, so-called founders as in the founders of our faith, those who went before us. Uh, This morning, we're kicking the series off by looking at Mary just a little bit, because I thought that would be appropriate on Mother's Day to look at maybe the most famous mother in all of the Scripture. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be at Luke 2, 41 to 52. I'll read those verses in just a few minutes. Now, I realize on a day like Mother's Day, as I talk about uh, motherhood, uh, at least 50% of us probably in this room are not moms, and uh, probably even more than that. And so, uh, as we dive into this passage, here's, here's my exhortation, whether you're a mom or not. A couple of things. One is, I think there are principles to take away from this passage, whether you're a mother or not, or a dad or not, or even a parent or not. There are principles about God's character that we can take away from this passage and also about how we want to grow as God's children, right? Because first and foremost, whether you're a parent or not, you're a child of God. You also have a a responsibility to be a disciple maker, that is to train and lead others to know Jesus. So wherever you are in that spectrum, I feel like this this talk, there's something you can take out of it. Secondly, uh, we all can be in prayer for those among us who are parents who are shepherding kids, be praying for the kids who come in and out of our doors every week as they grow to know Jesus and then eventually to be representatives for Jesus. Because parenting can be a difficult job. It's a great job, but it can be a difficult job. It can be tough because it's sometimes exhausting, right? So especially when they're little, you find yourself up a lot in the middle of the night. Maybe even as they get older, you find yourself up in the middle of the night. But for different reasons, right? We've kind of rounded a corner where our oldest often goes to bed after I do, uh, but you might, I'm sorry, yeah, after I do, actually, I go to bed before she does, Uh, but you might find yourself also up in the middle of the night uh, because of stress, because of worry, wondering what's going on uh, with them. It can be a difficult job because you compare yourself to other people, So you watch as people come in and they seem like they have the perfect families. They've uh, got kids who always immediately do what they are told and you know that your kids do not, right? You look on Facebook and the other kids seem like they are nicer than than your kids, right? And so you compare and it gets exhausting. It may be that it's a hard task because uh, there are things in your own experience as as a mom or as a dad that are causing you grief. Uh, Being a parent is difficult. It's always been difficult, even though it's a great job. Even in the times of the Bible, it was difficult. Parents are prone to frustration. I ran across uh, this passage a few years ago. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. And now you may have had those kind of days, right? Where you go, I think of myself as a compassionate person, but the boiling is coming if they don't obey, right? Now, I have to tell you, I took this terribly out of context, and that's not what it's about, But it is a tough job. But it's also maybe one of the most critical jobs that you'll ever be engaged in. And so the question is, how do you cherish that task of motherhood? How do you treasure that task of motherhood 
while at the same time acknowledging that tension that it's not easy, that it's anything besides easy. That's what I want to dive into this morning, and I want to look specifically at the character of Mary, the mother of Jesus, because I think in Mary's approach to Jesus and her approach to motherhood, which by the way, we only get a few snippets about Mary really in the, in the Bible, but what we see is that we see that Mary was a person who recognized the weightiness of the task she had been given, the significance of the task she had been given, but she also had moments of tension and fear and frustration, just like every parent And so I want to look specifically at one incident from the life of Jesus from his childhood in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. And then I want to talk a little bit about how Mary maintained that balance between saying motherhood is joyful, it's something to be treasured, and it can be difficult. We're going to pull a few passages out of this from uh, from Luke 2 this morning. So if you've got your Bible, Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 41. Now... Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, this is one of the few childhood stories that we have about Jesus in the Bible. Most of what we know about Jesus, we really only know about his ministry period from maybe early 30s until he died on the cross. But here we have a childhood story. And what I love about this story is you get a sense that in some ways the family of Jesus was really just like any other family. So let me summarize what's going on. Three times a year, a devout Jewish family would would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts in Jerusalem. Passover was one of them. So Mary and Joseph and the kids, remember Jesus later has other brothers and sisters. So they have at least five kids, probably more. They go to Jerusalem, they celebrate the Passover, and then they return to Galilee, right? So it's a several days walk. And they experience something that I'm going to guess many of you parents have experienced. And that is they assume that Jesus is kind of with the group somewhere, right? So they begin to travel home and they're like, he's back there somewhere. We don't know. You know, he's 12, so he's not a toddler. They don't have him right there. After about a day, they realize he is not there. He has wandered away. I used to wonder, by the way, before I had kids, why I would see parents occasionally uh, with their kids on those kid leashes. Uh, Now I know why, 
right? They can get away. So somehow Jesus has slipped away. It takes them a while to notice. But when they notice, when they finally realize, okay, he's not back there with, you know, his uncle and aunt, with any of the relatives, they go all the way back to Jerusalem and they begin to search. Now remember, Jerusalem is packed with people, right? This is like going to the state fair during the fair season. There are people everywhere, right? And there's, there's no police force that can find him. There's, you know, there's no like GPS tracker you can implant in his ear or anything like that, right? Like they are just looking for him and they can't seem to find him. It takes them three days, right? Some of you have lost kids for 20 minutes and you know the panic that that can induce. Three days, they finally find him. And there he is in the temple and he's talking to the teachers. He is asking them questions and they are talking to him and his parents come up and I love his mom's response. She says, son, why have you treated us this way, right? Jesus, you have a responsibility here to mom and to dad. Why'd you do this to us? We have been anxiously looking for, we've been searching everywhere, right? Every single mom in this room, I'm going to guess, has had that conversation at some point with your kid. Why'd you do this? You scared me to death. And Jesus' response is simply, well, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house. And they don't understand what that means. They don't understand the deity of Christ. It says it. They don't, they don't get it at that moment. If I had been Mary and Joseph, my initial instinct would have been, yeah, I'll show you your father's house. Come on with me. We're going to go back home. <laughs> right? And, and they get him and they go back home. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus went home with them and he stayed in subjection to them. And then there's this phrase. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And in fact, that's the second time we read that about Mary in Luke chapter 2. The first time it says that about Mary was right after Jesus was born when the shepherds came and they worshiped Jesus and they brought gifts. It says Mary gathered up or treasured all of these things in her heart and she pondered them. And what I love about it is that Mary has this attitude, even in the midst of a task that she knows is difficult, she understands that Jesus is a special baby, right? He was born to a virgin mother. Nobody knows that better than Mary. She understands that Jesus is a special baby because his birth is announced by angels. So this is a a huge task. It's at times, I'm sure, a stressful task for her in ways that it isn't even for all of us as we parent. And yet, even in the midst of that tension and that stress, Mary takes a moment and she pauses to recognize that God is at work and she has the opportunity to engage in a task where God is moving in this boy's life to do some powerful things. Her attitude here, in fact, fits with her attitude when she's first told she's going to be a young mom by the angel. Right? He says, you're, you're going to have a child. And she says, well, how's that going to be? I'm, I'm a virgin. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will bear this child. And after she asks the questions that she asks, she simply says this. She says, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done as you have said. So that through his childhood, she understands parenting Jesus isn't easy. But God is at work. And so she pauses to treasure her role and to treasure these moments. And that's where I want to take us then this morning. If you are a mom in the room this morning, the exhortation is this. Treasure your role as a mom because God is at work through your faithful service. 
Right now, now, even as I say that, I recognize that there are probably some moms that you kind of internally are rolling your eyes because you go, there are definitely some moments in my week that are not treasure worthy. Right, there are moments in my week that are, that are hard, that are stressful, that are frustrating. When I'm up at 2 or 3 in the morning with that child who is crying or throwing up, I'm not going to put that on Instagram and treasure it. Right? When they sass me, when they say or do things that frustrate me, it doesn't feel treasure worthy. Here's why I say that though. Treasure your role and here's why. Not because every moment is perfect, but instead because it is a weighty role. It's a significant role. In fact, it's a role of eternal significance because you have the opportunity to pour into the lives of your kids so that they know Jesus Christ, so that they love God and they love others, so that they grow one day to be men and women of wisdom who follow the ways of Jesus Christ as we pray for them and we invest in them. And the reality is, even if your children grow up and they decide to pursue a path that you did not try to set them on, the task you're engaging in today is still one of eternal significance because you don't know all that God is doing or all that God will do. And so we treasure that role because God is at work in your faithful service. Now you say, how do I do that, though, in the midst of the day-to-day, the stress, the busyness, the challenges? How do I... How do I do that? And here's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. Being able to value and treasure that role as a parent boils down, I think, to putting the central things central and putting peripheral things out to the side. To say, really, in the final analysis, all I can do is direct my kids toward the ways of God in a few critical areas and then leave everything up to him, including ultimate results. But we often get stressed by the periphery, right? Uh, What are their grades today? How are they doing in this sport today? How are they excelling at this skill today? Instead of saying, I I want us to keep the big picture in front of us. What are the central things? Here's what this passage tells us. It says, Jesus went home and he submitted himself to his parents. And then as he did so, he began to grow. Now, I'm going to just say right now, I don't understand all of the ins and outs of the the Trinity. And so I don't understand how Jesus, as the second member of the Trinity, grew in some of these things, in wisdom. How does God grow in wisdom? I don't know. He's also fully man, right? There's a mystery there. But it does say this, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. In fact, there's a similar passage about the prophet Samuel uh, in the Old Testament, that he grows in wisdom and in favor with God and men. And what we see is that as he submits to his parents, to his mom and dad, uh, he begins to grow in these four areas. And we're going to look at these four areas this morning, wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with men. And what we're going to say is this, as you, as you shepherd your kids, keep these in the center. And then that allows you to leave the results of your work up to the movement of the Spirit. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. So whether you're a mom or a dad or not, wherever you are this morning, we can pray for our kids and we can work toward these goals for our kids. I know some of you in this room, you're volunteers in the kids' ministry. You can pray for your kids. You can pray for kids uh, that other people bring in. But pray, first of all, that they will grow in wisdom, that they will grow in wisdom. 
By wisdom, I don't just mean being smart, right? So uh, we've all known people who get straight A's, but are not what you would call wise, right? We've all probably met people who are book smart, but for whatever reason, they make poor decisions when it comes to things like their money or their time or their relationships. So biblically, wisdom is not simply knowing stuff, but instead what wisdom is, it's it's this ability to say, here's the word of God, right? Here are the principles from the word of God, and here's my life, right? Here are the decisions that I need to make. How do I pull the two together in a way that honors God? Right? See, one of the challenges is that not every individual decision that we make has a corresponding Bible verse, right? So what we have to do is we have to look at what is the character of God? What can we learn about the Scripture that might inform some of these decisions? And so part of your role as a parent is you help your kids to grow in wisdom. And sometimes that may even mean you don't give them all the answers. But instead, when they're struggling or wrestling, How do I approach this tough situation at school with my friends? It may be you ask questions and you point them and you lead them toward the Word of God. And so you pair the Word of God with their life experience. Moms, you have the privilege of being one of the main imparters of wisdom to your kids. I can remember still uh, bits of wisdom that my mom passed on to me from when I was a kid. I was thinking of some of them even this week. I remember very distinctly my mom, when my brothers and I would start to fight, my mom would say, you you know, your friends will come and go, but your siblings will be there forever. Now that was little comfort when we were arguing. But there was a principle there that was, that was important, and it was this, that, that these people in your family, that they matter, and they matter deeply, and it is true. You will go through stages of your life where friends will come and friends will go, but there are people in your life that you have a responsibility to for the rest of your life. All right, I, I can remember uh, mom uh, saying uh, this one a lot, a little bit of dirt never hurt Bert. She used to say that all the time. I don't know who Bert was. Sometimes she would add and Ernie, and that put it in context, right? (laughs) But what was the idea? Well, you know, if you're doing something you enjoy, if you're having fun, uh, getting a little bit dirty is really, it's beside the point, right? And I love that because I've been able to expand that even to a broader concept in my life. And I think this is one that's helpful for even some of you moms and dads. Look, if you are engaged in the task of loving your family, loving your kids, and the house is a little bit messy, the car is a little bit messy, you're a little bit messy, it's okay because there's something greater at stake and that's the relationships with those around you. My mom was the primary one. I remember telling us when you get married above all other considerations, marry somebody who knows Jesus and loves Jesus. I see my wife, Shannon, impart wisdom to our kids every day, little sayings that she has and things that she tells them. Uh, One of her favorites is, don't you give that a lick and a promise. She says that all the time. And uh, some of you know this expression, some of you don't. I was less familiar with it until we got married. But essentially it is, if, if someone's cleaning up or doing a chore and you see them beginning to do it halfway, you say, hey, don't just give that a lick and a promise. What is the idea? Do it all the way through. Do it well to the end. I actually went and looked up the etymology of this expression, things I do for fun, right? And uh, 
Turns out that this expression goes back like hundreds of years. It originated like in England. And apparently it, it originally, they think, referred to cats, right? You know, they, they lick themselves. So you lick yourself once and you go, I promise I'll finish the rest later. And she says, don't give it a lick and a promise. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. That's actually got its roots in the scripture, right? Why worry about tomorrow? Don't borrow trouble. That hasn't happened yet. Be a blessing. We've got that as a banner over one of the doors in our house that we leave. And she says it all the time. Moms, you have an opportunity to help your kids think about what is important in life. And how do I pair it with the word of God when it comes to relationships, when it comes to money, when it comes to time, when it comes to work, you're spending time. Never underestimate that those little bits of wisdom they, they will pay dividends. There's a great passage at the very end of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 31. Many of you are familiar with Proverbs 31 uh, because of the noble wife in Proverbs 31. And I know some of you read that and you're like, man, that lady, like she makes her own clothes. She gets up at dawn. She owns a business. That, that passage doesn't help me in any way, right? But what I love about Proverbs 31, there's a portion about Proverbs 31 that we read less often, and it's the first few verses of Proverbs 31. And it it says uh, that these are the words of King Lemuel. Now, we don't know exactly who King Lemuel is, but it says, I'm going to tell you, he says, this is the oracle that my mother taught me. And he begins to say, hey, here are the things that my mom taught me. And what you find is actually the second half of Proverbs 31 is essentially his mom's words of, if you're going to look for a wife, Lemuel, look for a wife of noble character. All right, but before he even gets there, he says, here's what my mom said. Uh, and she begins and she says this, hey, what are you doing? Like literally that's how it starts. She goes, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? And then she goes on and she says, do not give all your strength and energy to women. In other words, first piece of advice, Lemuel, don't invest all your energy in romantic relationships and chasing women because it's going to wear you out and distract you from things you need to be doing. Secondly, Lemuel, don't get drunk. That's the second piece of advice. And thirdly, use whatever influence you have in your life to lift up those who don't have a voice, to speak for those who are weak, and to care for those who need an advocate. She says, Lemuel, you use your life in the pursuit of righteousness and justice. And I love that right here at the end of Proverbs 31, Lemuel says, I I have one chapter, right? I I get one chapter because Solomon took up 30. I want to tell you what my mom said. And it sticks with him. All the way to the end. So Jesus grows in wisdom, and you have an opportunity to help your kids grow in wisdom. Secondly, Jesus grew in stature, that is physical growth. He grew physically. He began as a baby, and he grew to be a man, right? And and, and you may say, well, yeah, that kind of happens, right? No matter what we tend to do, they tend to grow. Every year you see them, they're bigger, uh, and you get to simply be a part of that process. Uh, For most of us, that's that's a joyful process, right? It's It's a fascinating process in the sense that it's joyful, but it can also be a little melancholy. You go, I love watching them grow, but I also know that as they grow, one day that means they they're gonna move away. Right? Um, when Shannon was pregnant with each of our kids, I would get these emails from this baby website where they would describe, here's how big the baby is now as it's growing. And so it'd be like, first it'd be like, the baby's the size of a pea, then the baby's the size of a grape, 
And then like a little tangerine, right? It was always a fruit. Like whoever wrote these was clearly hungry as they're writing it, right? And then it moves up to like, you know, a larger apple and then like a grapefruit. And eventually I think it, like the, the crowning one is a, it's a watermelon, right? Your child's, the, you know, this watermelon, you know? And so uh, I loved reading them though, because I was fascinated to see how the child would grow. And, and, and it says here, Jesus, hey, he grew just like every other child. He started little, he started little. And that's one of the mysteries of the incarnation is Jesus starts as a baby and he grows. And for many of you, being a part of the physical growth of your children. It's joyful, but especially if you've got little ones, it's also hard at times, isn't it? In fact, I would guess that if you've got you know, babies or toddlers, you spend a lot of your day engaged in this second one, right? Because you're, you're wiping noses, you're wiping bottoms, you're feeding them little uh, bits of mashed up food, you're helping them when they're sick, you're giving them a bath, you're changing them. I mean, your days are full of physical caretaking, and it can be exhausting going through all of that. And here's what I'd say. Do not minimize the task of being a physical caretaker for your kids. And here's why. Because being a physical caretaker biblically reflects the compassion and the love of God. The first place that your children will see that God loves them is really going to be reflected in the compassion and love of their mom. Right? When Jesus or when God wanted to describe in the Old Testament the compassion of God, here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you, right? So Isaiah here, he says, I'm going to think of the greatest example of compassion, the greatest bond I can think of in the human race, he says, is a nursing mother physically caring for her baby. He says, can she possibly forget that baby? Occasionally it happens, but it's rare. It's so rare that, that he's going to say the only love in the universe greater is the love that God has for his people. And the closest we see in terms of that compassion is a mother and child, right? So as you take care of your children, you're reflecting the compassion and the love of God. Paul, when he wanted to describe his love for the Thessalonian church, he says this, we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You have that opportunity to demonstrate the compassion of God. Many of you uh, moms, you have sort of a, a sense of what your kids need physically, maybe in a way that your, your husbands do not, maybe in the way that their fathers do not, right? Uh, Shannon has an internal thermometer in her hands where she can tell if the kids have a fever or not, right? So they'll come to me and they'll say, I think I am sick. I think I might have a fever. And my response, my initial response is always, probably not, right? You're probably fine. You can go throughout your day and she will be able to come and she can just feel their forehead and go, no, she has a fever or she doesn't have a fever. And I feel, and I'm like, I don't, I don't feel anything. <laughs> like I, I don't feel any difference, right? But she is a hundred percent right. What's interesting is we can go get the thermometer and she is always correct. And I am always wrong. I never get it right. 
It's a skill. It's a gift. Many of you moms, I'm going to guess that right now, if I were to say, hey, let's look at what's inside your purse. We're going to find like an entire uh, sort of uh, base of equipment that your child needs for anything that happens. You have a full change of clothes. You have band-aids. You have medicine. You have a snack. Right? If I'm hungry usually on Sunday morning and I need a snack, I, I find a mom because I know that she's likely to have one. You have a sense of what they need. And in doing so, you're actually demonstrating the responsiveness of the heart of God and the love of the heart of God. So never underestimate or minimize those days that you say, all I did today was take care of their messes and clean them up and feed them. It's a deeply significant task that reflects the role of God. So Jesus grows in wisdom. Jesus grows in stature. Thirdly, Jesus grows in favor with God. That is, he grows spiritually. I don't fully, again, understand how Jesus grows spiritually. But, but in his humanity, at least, he begins to understand more about his father and the character of his father. He begins to know the word of God. And I think part of this is because it's very clear from the beginning that Joseph and Mary are devout. Every time we see Joseph and Mary... They're, they're, you know, they're on their way to the temple in Jerusalem, either to make an offering for Jesus or they're on their way back from the temple in Jerusalem. They're engaged in talking to uh, these angels and figuring out how to approach uh, the task of parenting Jesus righteously. They were deeply devout Jews who obeyed God, and so Jesus sees this as he grows up. You have an opportunity to help your kids grow in their understanding of who God is. And kids will take their cues from their parents, believe it or not, more than almost anybody else. I read a story several years ago about one mother from history. Her name is Susanna Wesley. Some of you are familiar with John and Charles Wesley, who were the founders of the Methodist Church way back about 300-some years ago. We still sing some of Charles Wesley's songs today when we sing Amazing Love, How Can It Be That Thou, My God, Wouldst Die For Me? Or if we sing Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, we sing that at Christmas time. We're singing the hymns of Charles Wesley, right? So these two men who grew up to be these great men of faith, their mom, Susanna Wesley, she had 10 children. Okay, and she was married to a minister who was often gone. Sometimes he was gone on church business. Sometimes he was gone because they would have fights. They had a bit of a volatile marriage, and he would just leave. He left a couple of times for a year at a time. And so she had 10 kids she had to manage. And uh, back then they had smaller houses, right? So they didn't have all of the space where she could go and, and get away to pray. So, so what she would do, what Susanna Wesley would do is when she needed to spend time with God, uh, she had an apron that she would wear and she would flip the apron up over her face so she could pray. And so the idea was, kids, if you see mommy with the apron on her face, leave me alone. I'm in prayer. That's how she found that moment to connect with God. But what's remarkable is her kids would see that day in and day out. Mom values prayer. First, mom values prayer. At one point, while her husband was away on one of his long absences, she wrote him a letter. And this is what the letter said She said, I am a woman, but I am also the mistress of a large family. 
And though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, yet in your long absence I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. That's a fancy way of saying, you should be here, this is really your job, but since you're gone, I see that I've been entrusted. I am not a man nor a minister, yet as a mother and a mistress, I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done. I resolved to begin with my own children, in which I observe the following method. I take such a proportion of time as I can spare every night to discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hetty. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jackie. Friday, with Patty. Saturday, with Charles. She says, each day, I'm going to invest some time in each child so that they can know about Jesus. She is practicing, in a sense, what Deuteronomy 6 encouraged the Israelites to practice as they shared God with their kids. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, the greatest way to train your kids to know God is as you walk around with them in the day-to-days of life, you talk about God. You write it on your own heart. You let them see you get up in the morning and pray and read the Scripture. You take the the, the events of their day and you help them filter it through a biblical grid. This doesn't take some sort of major curriculum or anything along those lines. It just takes faithfulness. Throughout the Scripture, moms are often seen as some of the primary spiritual developers of their kids. Second Timothy 1, Paul said, Timothy, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother, and so the faith of God was actually passed down to him through his mom. So Jesus grows in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God. One of the greatest indicators, uh, there's research to back this up, of whether kids walk with Jesus as adults, right? Again, not 100% correlation, but one of the greatest indicators of whether they will walk with Jesus as adults is do they see their parents taking their faith seriously? Not just saying you should go to church, not just saying you should pray. Do they see you praying? Do they see you engaged in the body of Christ, reading the Scripture, talking about your faith? Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and then fourthly and lastly, favor with man. That is social development. He learned more and more about how practically to love others, to care for others. When we teach our kids socially how to care for others, we're teaching them that others matter because they matter to God, because they're made in the image of God, because Jesus died and rose again for all people to come to know him. And he wants everybody to believe in him. And so we teach our kids to treat others with respect and with kindness. 
right? I, when I was a kid, um, and I know some of you are in the same boat, my mom would always make us write thank you notes after Christmas or birthdays. We would have to sit down and write thank you for the, you know, whatever thing, you know, and um, I hated it. I hated it. Okay? I said this first service, and my own kids were in here, and I felt reluctant to say this in front of my kids because we make them do it too, but I hated it, right? There's only so many different variations of thank you for the thing. Thank you, you know, and there were people that would give you very, very small gifts that you were like, I don't even know, does this merit a, 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 like a card, you know? I think you're sending me this gift just because you want a thank you card, right, every year. But you had to do it. What was I learning? I was learning gratitude for people, right? Some of you, you're engaged, I know, in what feels like a mortal struggle to teach your kids to be polite, I know it because uh, you may come in on Sunday morning and I say hello and you've got a kid with you and I say hello and as kids will do, especially if they're little, they kind of, they freak out and they kind of turn away, right? And they're like, eh, and you're like, say hello, right? Slapping them on the back of the head, say hello, look him in the eye, shake his hand, you know? And I know that, that what happens, because we've had these conversations too, right? You're on the way home and you have the conversation for the hundredth time. Hey, when an adult says hello to you, you look them in the eye. You say hello. If they ask you a question, you answer their question. Why are you doing that? Well, it's not merely a ritual that we're going through. What you're training them is that people matter. And so I notice people, I speak to people, I say please and thank you, not just because we're Southern, but because people matter. Okay? And so persevere. So Jesus grows in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. So moms, you you have a a deeply significant role, one to be treasured. One uh, great, and I, I meant to mention this a moment ago, when it comes to social development, a verse that we've used, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. You may recognize that. I didn't know the Stuckies were going to use that as their verse this morning when they, baby, when they dedicated their baby, but I love it. Kindness and truth should guide your interactions. So Jesus grows in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. So as we close very quickly, let me offer a few thoughts by way of application. First one is this, pray for your kids. I know that you do, but pray for them daily. Pray for them many times a day. Continue to pray that God will help them to grow, to know him. Pray for yourself and for other people's kids to know God, to keep the central things central. Thirdly, be gracious. Be gracious with your kids. Be gracious with yourself. Be gracious with with other people and their kids. And recognize that, that parenting is a challenge for everybody. Right? And we, we all want to honor God as well as we can, but none of us are perfect. And so we pray and we support, be gracious. And then lastly, simply be faithful. Be faithful. Show up day after day after day. There's a lot of value in that. Very quickly, I, I wanted to close a few years ago on my own Facebook page uh, around Mother's Day. I had asked some moms, what advice would you give for being a mom? And there was some great stuff in there. I mean, you know, value every day, treasure the little things. Some of them were like, choose your battles, you know, that kind of stuff. But I had a friend who sent me a message uh, privately, and she told me that I could share this. Um, she says this, uh, and let me, let me preface this by saying, uh, she began the message by saying when she was young, when she was a teenager, her mom left. Her mom left the family. And she said, I didn't see my mom for over two decades. 
And she said, here's what I would say. She says, my mom advice, just be there. It doesn't have to be perfect or Pinteresty or homemade or full of deep, life-changing spiritual moments. All I wanted was a mom to hear about a good grade I made or a bad one, to help me pick out a dress, to cook a meal for me, to see me graduate from high school and college, watch me get married, see my children be born. The list goes on and on. All those seem like givens in the mom world, but when you don't have them, you really miss them. I think we need to give ourselves a break and realize that just being a mom to a child on a daily basis is really, really special. Just be there. Love them. And tell them you love them. That is life changing. And I love that because she says, what do you do? You keep the central thing central. You love them. You show up. And let the peripheral things fall to the side. Treasure that role because God is working in the midst of your faithfulness, imperfect though it may be. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the morning. Grateful for each person in the room this morning. Lord, we know that some in this room had great relationships with their moms and some had rough ones. We know that there are those who are in joyful seasons as moms and those who are in hard seasons. We know that there are those who long to be a mom, but they're not for whatever reason. And then there are those who are moms who are experiencing ongoing grief and loss. We pray for each person that you would be their comfort, you would be their strength. Father, we pray that we would pray for one another. And we pray that we would seek the values that Jesus demonstrated to us. To know you, to obey you in wisdom, to care for others, and to take care of others. Father, let us be faithful until the day we see you or Jesus returns. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.